Last week we talked about um, an exciting topic about trouble. Remember that? Uh, that Jesus said, in me you have peace, in the world you have trouble, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So we're called to be overcomers. And last week I set a little, little bottle down, I said, there'll come a time as you allow trouble to help you build your spiritual muscles that you'll just step right over trouble and you won't even... Uh, people will go, wow, how'd you do that? And you'll say, what? How'd you step over that trouble? you say, what trouble? And they'll point out, you go, oh, that's nothing, because you've grown. Now, I don't know how many of you, and, and by the way, preaching a message on that or talking about does not create trouble. But one thing it will do is your eyes will see the trouble that comes into your life, and you can process it differently and begin to grow. So, I mean, this, this week I had a mechanical problem with the car, took it in, spent some good money. It was worse than when it started. Okay, so it was just like, I just had to remind myself, just step over it, just step over it. And so, um, I, I did a uh, do-it-yourself project, which by the way, I, I, honestly, I do not enjoy those things. And so, I thought, okay, this project, a professional will do it in 20 to 30 minutes, so I'll give myself an hour. Uh, three and a half hours later, and a trip to uh, the hardware store, finally got it done, it was done. But when you don't like doing something anyway, when it doesn't work well, it's even more frustrating. And so if I started to get frustrated, I'd say, just step over it, baby. Just step over it. That's right. Just step over it. Just step over it. And so all those little things that, that just help us develop. And by the way, I want to remind you this. When you're having a struggle with a do-it-yourself project or a mechanical thing doesn't work or something doesn't happen, uh, you know what? They're really little problems. I mean, somebody today, I'm serious about this, is going in for their chemotherapy treatment. You go, oh, okay. They'll gladly trade you the car difficulty. They'll gladly trade you. My brother went through a series of that, and he was in a parking lot, and, and uh, he backed out, and another car backed out. You ever see that happen? They hit each other. And, and the person came out and said, oh, my goodness, I can't believe that. said, it's just it's a horrible day. said, the washing machine wasn't working. You know, then I have this. And my brother said, yeah, I just came for my chemotherapy treatment. Okay, well, you know, I kind of like calm, like, okay, I'm not going to worry about the washing machine. You know, I'm not going to worry about dent in the car. So let's remember. Now, it doesn't mean that our problems aren't real to us, no matter if it's just that we've lost our keys. So we are supposed to, you know, use those to grow. But I want you to know there are worse problems in life as well, and we just have to remember this. Just step over it. Just step over it. I have peace in Jesus. The world's got trouble. Jesus is an overcomer. He's made us overcomers, and we're going to use all those things to grow and build our spiritual muscles in the Lord. Now, you might notice that every week, I, as we, we want to apply the Word of God, not just learn it. We want to apply it. So we're always talking about application. You know, how do we apply the Word of God? And the Word of God is so incredibly important. It is the Word of God. Only the Word of God will actually transform and change our lives if we do it. Not just learn it, but if we do it. So every week, it's, it's our goal is we're going to learn the word and do the word. Learn the word, do the word. Learn the word, do the word. As we do that, we grow and we develop spiritually. If we learn the word and don't do the word, we already know what happens. James 1 tells us we deceive ourselves. We think we have some spiritual maturity because we got head knowledge. But if it doesn't go from the head to our application, our lifestyle, we're not maturing. We're maturing intellectually, but we're not maturing in our actual walk with God. So we always want to hear the word and then put it into practice. Very simple to know, hear the word, do the word, but it may take some fight in your flesh, in your passion to, I'm going to do the word, because your flesh doesn't always want to do the word. 
But if you'll do the word, there's all kinds of blessings that comes with that. So every week, I never do come to the end and say, I just want to encourage you, just think good thoughts this week. Now, I hope you think good thoughts this week. But I don't get to the end and say, I just want you just, you know, chant some, some positive mantra this week and, and just go ahead and, and use that. No, I, I hope you confess the word of God and good things over your life or just, just exercise more human willpower. Um, I never suggest that. I, I never suggest, you know, this week let's just light some candles and burn some incense. Now, if you like lighting candles and burning incense, if that's a blessing to you to do that, I have zero problem with that, unless you think there's something magical in it, because there is not. There is not. Now, if you like lighting candles, I, have, again, have no problem with that. Uh, some people like to light a candle and go into prayer and and it, it gives them some certain reminder of something. I, seriously, I have no problem with that. It's when it steps past that, like, oh my goodness, I prayed today and I forgot to light the candle. Uh, well, that, that was a waste of time. No, well, you talk to the creator of the universe. He's bigger than a candle. He's bigger than incense. He's bigger than some magic uh, mantra you, you chanted. He's bigger than all that. He's the God of the universe. So that's why we're always going back to the word of God, because anything less than that is like going to war with a squirt gun. You know, it just doesn't have, you know, and the word of God's like a, a tank. Better, bigger than a tank. The scripture says the weapons of our warfare are not worldly or carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Every time I read that verse, I can't help, but I watched a show one time on military weapons, and there's some crazy, awesomely powerful military weapons. Destructive weapons. And then I see... But the weapons of our warfare are not worldly. But ours are mighty. I'm saying, wow, you ought to saw some of the things I saw on that show. And God would whisper to your ear, ours are mightier. Ours are mightier. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not worldly. They're mighty. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. In, in a battle, there would be a stronghold. Jericho was a stronghold. Guess what? Jericho had no, no ability to withstand God. No ability to withstand God. And if you read the story, we, we tell the little story, but when you read the story, the people in Jericho had heard about what God did for the people of Israel while they were in Egypt. And they knew. We, the, the Bible says their hearts melted out of fear because they knew they were encountering the God of the universe. <laughs> Amen. So the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And so we want to look at, at one of our weapons, the, this transformational, spirit-infused, eternal power of the Word of God. The Word of God. Now, most of what I'm probably going to share with you today, you already know, but it doesn't hurt to be reminded of it. Maybe you'll get an insight. Oftentimes, I'm very serious about this. The Holy Spirit teaches us things. So we may get to the end of this, you may go, oh, well, he was saying that, I thought this, and now, now, when I say that, don't, as he was saying that, I was thinking the Reds play today at 1 o'clock, and no, I'm not, or I, while he was saying that, I was thinking, you know, don't forget this at the grocery store. No, but as I'm saying something, the Holy Spirit may bring another verse to you where you go, oh, and you may get some insight. That's cool. Let the Holy Spirit teach you and lead you to all truth. It's one of his ministries, Jesus said he would do. So we're going to talk about the Word of God, the power of the Word of God. Here's one in Hebrews 11.3. By faith, we understand that the world's were framed, created. The worlds were framed and created by what? The word of God. By the word of God. That God speaks, his words have so much power that he speaks, and things happen. 
So our planet, the solar system, the Milky Way galaxy, all the other planets, solar systems, and galaxies all over the universe were created by the word of God. Sounds like we should pay attention to the word of God. It has that kind of power to create a galaxy. Then in Matthew 24, 35, it says, Jesus actually said this, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Sounds like we should pay attention to Jesus' words. Heaven and earth will be gone, but Jesus' words will never be gone. The psalmist said, your word, Lord, is eternal. Eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. So the word of God is eternal. It stands firm. It's forever settled in heaven. It's established, the word of God. In John 6, 63, Jesus said, the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit alone gives eternal life. The Holy Spirit alone gives eternal life. Don't miss that. The Holy Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes what? Nothing. Nothing. Now, for clarity, we do partner up with God. I mean, God gives us the word. You know, you all said, I'm going to be in the house of the Lord because the Bible teaches us to be in the house of the Lord, and it took some human effort to do it. You got up, you took a shower, you, you got dressed, you, you made some breakfast, you hopped in the car, you drove here, you came in. So there was, there was human effort, but human effort alone, human effort not fused with the vision and will and word of God, will produce nothing. You could say to yourself, I don't need Jesus. I don't need the Bible. I'm going to be the best person I can be. Well, you can work to be in the best person you can be, but the best person you can be, apart from Jesus, is sin. That's it. Jesus is, there's no other name under heaven. I love that verse because Peter was actually talking to devout religious men. Devout religious men had gathered for the feast of Pentecost, and he began to preach to them, and their hearts were pricked. They said, what, what must we do? These are devout religious Jewish men. What must we do? There's something about your message that's pricking our heart. It's pulling at our heart. He said, here's what you must do. You must repent and turn to God. For there's no other name under heaven. Think about that. He said that to devout religious people. Devout, good, Jewish, religious men who had gathered to worship their God, worship God. He said, Jesus, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You can't circumvent, bypass Jesus. We need Jesus. And so then Jesus says this. He says, my words, the very words I've spoken to you, they are spirit and life. They are spirit and and life. So the core of your being, by the way, is spirit. It's not flesh. You've been to enough funerals to know that. We lay aside this earth suit, but there's an eternal us. There's an eternal us. And his words are spirit. They minister to our spirit being. And in Christ, we become new creations in the spirit. And we lay aside the flesh. I don't even know how God's going to do it, but one day he's going to raise up that flesh. And he's going to give us a new body. And we're going to have a new body. We're already made new in our spirit. I want you to know, when you give your life to Jesus, eternal life begins that moment. It doesn't begin when you die. It begins right that second. You have eternal life in Christ. And then we lay aside this earth suit. God will raise it up. My speculation is it'll be something like probably whatever Adam and Eve walked around in. I don't know. That's just a speculation. All I know is it's going to be good. All I know is it's going to be good. Now, I'm not trying to be negative, but last night... I was crimping around with a backache. 
And this morning I got up. I don't know why Darlene thought, are you okay? Just because it took me two minutes to get out of the chair. Uh, and, and you know what? You won't have that in your new body. I'll guarantee it. I'll guarantee it. Yes, by the way, I am doing better. Thank you for asking. I'm doing much better. But you won't have that. You won't have that. Won't that be awesome? I mean, that's awesome. Every time I stub my toe. I don't know what it is about stubbing a toe. It, I, maybe it doesn't do it to you. My whole body responds to that. I mean, it's, like, it's all the way up. And uh, it always makes me quote a Bible verse. When I do that, I go, oh, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Because I think, oh, when you're here, I'll never have to do that again. You know, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Whew, the word of God. The word of God. The very words of Jesus are spirit and they are life. They give life to us. Jesus isn't trying to talk you out of anything. He's not trying to steal anything from you. He's trying to bless you. He's trying to give you stuff. I just wish we could be logical when it comes to the word at times and just realize this. He's God. You have nothing he has to have. I'm not going to give any money in the offering. Well, God don't need your money. I'm serious about this. You could decide never to give. This isn't a message on uh, money, but you could decide never to give. And guess what? The kingdom's going to keep advancing. I can tell you who it will hurt. It will hurt you. And, and also, I, I, I love uh, how the devil likes to spread this lie. You talk to people, and I, I saw something the other day. Somebody posted something, said they don't go to church, and they said, well, the reason I don't go to church, you know, is all the church ever wants is, is our money. And I think, isn't that so funny? I mean, you all probably been to lots of churches, and, and honestly, you probably haven't been to hardly any who just really begged you for money. I forget to even mention that we have offering baskets back there about four out of five Sundays that you can give in. And so I think it's so interesting, but here's people who say, I'm not going to go to church because all they want is my money. And you say, when's the last time you've been in church? Well, I've never been. Okay, well, wow, how do you know what they want? I, I can tell you this. Every place I go, and I'm not opposed to this, every place I go to get something like groceries or auto parts store, whatever, you know what they really want? They want my money. I don't care if it says, we're just here to serve you. They ain't just there to serve you, okay? They're there to serve you if you'll give them some of your money, which is fine because it's worthy of that. It should be a monetary exchange for what you're taking. I don't, and I, I always joke around and say, the church is like the only place you could go and never give a penny and then have them give you some money. I mean, try Walmart. Well, won't say that. Try any big box store. Try any place. Fill up your cart and just walk out the door. And see if they go, hey, you know what? They've, they've been here lots of times. It's all good. It's all fine. No, th- th- things will beep. Things will happen. Guards will show up. <laughs> yeah. And you'll say, I just thought you loved me. No. Interesting. I'm sorry. I don't even know how I got on that. So that's probably for the one stingy person out there. It's afraid God wants to take their money. So anyway. 2 Timothy 3, 16 17. We go there a lot, and it's a powerful set of verses. I picked it out of the New Living Translation today. It says it just a, a little bit different. Uh, it begins with all scriptures inspired by God. That's a great translation. Most translations do that. I think the NIV has the most beautiful one to me. It says all scriptures God breathed. That's probably the most literal translation. Inspired's great. I have no problem with that. But to me, you know how different, that's why I like reading different translations. I mean, quality ones, because sometimes they'll pick a different set of words that trigger something in my mind. 
Inspired is a really great word, but when I read God breathed, I go, whoa, okay, you got my attention. So God breathed this. God breathed this word. You know, as I'm speaking right now, I'm breathing words. And so all scriptures God breathed are inspired and is useful to teach us what is true. Did you see that? The word of God will teach us what is true. This culture and every culture, please don't get deceived. Think, man, I've never seen a culture that, that doesn't believe the word of God. Yeah, every culture, every culture, but the culture is always trying to teach you how you should think and what is true. Watch any TV program, and they will be infiltrating your brain and mind with this is the acceptable behavior of how we, we should live. And that's not true. The word of God shows us how to live in truth. It shows us what is true, the word of God. Not the world, the word of God. So the word of God is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. What is wrong in our lives? The word of God will reveal to us what is wrong in our lives. Now we have one of two ways to respond to it. Sometimes people look at their lives and say, man, what's wrong with my life? What's wrong with my life? And then God and the word says, here's what's wrong with your life. And we go, well but I still want to live the way I want to live. Well, you can do that. And the Bible even says that when you indulge your flesh, it's pleasurable for a season, but in the end, it produces death. And so you can go down that road if you want to, but the end result is not good. And so I don't know if I'm lazy. I just don't want to go around the mountain 20 times. So I'm going to try my best to go God's way and not go the way of the world, get beat up by life, produce death, and then have to spend, sometimes people spend years unraveling all that. Save yourself the time. Just be a doer of the word. Be a doer of the word. And so here, it teaches us what's wrong with our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. The word of God will teach you to do what is right. God uses the word, uses it, the word, to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Every good work. So you get prepared to do every good work. So I want you to think about that. The scripture is God-breathed. The scripture is inspired. Even the Old Testament, the Bible says, the holy men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, the King James says. So the Old Testament scriptures were written by people who were moved by the Holy Spirit to write those things down, as well as the New Testament scriptures as well. And so these words in scripture are breathed by God. They're inspired by God. I want that to sink in for a second. Which means, if I disbelieve any of the scripture, or I disobey any of the scripture, I have disbelieved God, and I have disobeyed God. It seems a little easier to say, eh, I'm just disobeying some ink on a piece of paper. That seems easier than saying, I just disobeyed God. When I say, here's the way I want to live my life, and God says, here's the way I think you should live your life. And you say, well, this way is the way I want to live it. And I think this way will bring me the most joy and the most happiness. You know what you've just done? You've just disbelieved God. You have said, the way God's telling me to live, I don't believe. I believe this is the best way to live. It never works out. I've never had anybody point me someone and said, I totally rebelled against God and his will and his word, and look what a wonderful life I've had. Never, never, never saw it. We see it for the first time in the garden. The serpent says to Eve, God's trying to hold you back. He knows. He knows that the day you eat that, you'll be like him. Your eyes will be open. Things will be wonderful. It'll all be great. And she looked at that fruit and saw that was pleasing to the eye. 
It was good for food, and it was desirable to make one wise. And she ate and gave it to her husband who was with her, and he did eat. And let me ask you this, did it work out well? No. No. And it never does. It's the same ploy the devil uses all the time. In the, in the New Testament, it says this, that what we fight against is the lust of the eye. She looked at the fruit and saw that it was good, pleasing to the eye. The lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, it was desirable for food and the pride of life, and it was desirable to make one wise. All three of those things, it's the same tactic the devil uses all the time now. It's pleasing to the eye, it's, it's pleasing to the flesh, it's pleasing to, for pride, and the Satan always uses those things, and it never works out well. It never works out well at all. So the Word of God teaches us, trains us, and when we disbelieve the Word and we disobey the Word, we disbelieve God and we disobey God. Now, because I've got a little teacher in me, I do want you to know, we are under a new covenant in Jesus. So I might be reading in the Old Testament somewhere that I've committed a certain sin, so I need to offer a turtle dove on an altar. And I go, well, pastor just said if I disobey, I'm disobeying God. Well, we are a new covenant. Jesus said that. He said, this is the, uh, the cup of a new covenant in my blood. And so we have this Christian covenant with God, and we have Scripture. So I just want you, what I'm saying is just use a little sense as you read something in Scripture. Is this something for the Jewish people under the old covenant, or is this something for Christian folk, you know, as a participant of the new covenant in Christ? But when we say, I know the word of God teaches this, I know this is what Jesus would have me do, but I'm not going to do it, then we've disobeyed God and we've disbelieved God. The, we see that in the prophet Samuel. Do you, if you remember Samuel, Samuel was one of the prophets before there was ever a king in Israel. And Samuel, the people came to Samuel clamoring for a king. We want a king. And God told him, said, tell the people they do not want a king, trust me. If they get a king... That king's going to take their young men and sons off into battle. If they get a king, they're going to tax them. And if they get a king, so he tells them all this. So Samuel goes to the people and says, you don't want a king. God wants to be your king. Let's let God rule and reign over us. He'll protect and serve and keep and help as he had been doing. And they said, no, we want a king. Guess what? Sounds just like us and every little kid. Everybody else has got a king. That's what they said. All the other nations have a king. Why don't we get a king? All the other nations have a king. And then God should have said, seriously, should have said this, if all the other nations jumped off a cliff, would you jump off a cliff with them? I mean, that, that's, what, that's what we do as parents. That's our, that's our go-to line. And so they said, we want a, we want a king. And so Samuel's bummed, obviously, because he knows that isn't God's best for them. But God says something to Samuel that shows the power of his word. He said, Samuel, he said, don't get down, don't be depressed. Listen to what he said. He said, Samuel, they have not rejected you. They have rejected me. God said, they rejected me. They have chosen to violate my word and my will, and they have rejected me. It wasn't just, ah, they didn't do what I said. No, they rejected me. And so that's the power of the word. Now, Sometimes when I talk with folks, they'll say, well, well, Tracy, you just don't understand. I don't feel like I have to, and then you can fill in the blank, whatever it is. I don't feel like I have to really have a prayer life. I don't feel like I have to go to church. I don't feel like I have to give. I don't feel like I have to serve. I don't feel like I have to, you know, love my enemy. I don't feel like I have to be 
bless the person at work or school that is mean to me. And so whatever, just fill in the blank. I don't feel like I have to because, and I always want to say, because what? Because God has shown up to you and said, I give you divine privilege to totally disobey my word. That's really what it comes down to. It comes down to, am I going to obey or disobey God's word? And unless you see something in scripture that says you are permitted to disobey me on these particular issues because you had something that happened or, man, the person who was mean to you is really mean. Okay, well, if they're really mean, then you don't have to love them. You don't have to bless them. You don't have to pray for them. No, we still got to do the word of God. So we have to do the word of God. But again, why the word of God? The word of God has so many things. These are just a few things, too. The word of God, according to the psalmist, makes wise the simple. Now, simple is not a word we use a lot, but they used to have a word called, you're a simpleton. Now, I know none of you ever heard that, neither did I, but some people would be called simpletons. I mean, they weren't the sharpest tool in the shed. And God says, the word of God will make wise even the simple. You may say, I don't have a lot of brain power. If you get the word of God in you, he will make you wise. You may not have the IQ of someone around you, you, but you'll become wise. And what happens is when brilliant people reject the word of God, they become fools. It's true. It's what the Bible says. The Bible says that they professing themselves to be wise have become fools. I don't know if you've ever heard a brilliant person, you know, say something that totally violates the word of God, and you'll say, oh my goodness, that was, that's, that's not smart. You ought to be smarter than that. But the word of God makes wise and simple. The psalmist said he sent his word and healed them. So the word of God has healing power to it. He heals us. The psalmist also said that his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So it, the word of God lights our path for smooth walking. So you're not stubbing your toe. You're not tripping up on stuff. You're not falling into things. My mother, when we would go places, uh, she was always enamored with everything that was around her, which was cool. But I'm serious about this. She could fall in a manhole. Because she would never look down. You know, so I was always, watch out, a manhole head, uh, poisonous snake, alligator. It doesn't matter. She's just like, oh, okay, this is all cool. You know, the, the light of God will make the pathway clear so you don't hurt yourself. It creates faith for the impossible. In Romans ten seventeen, the topic's on salvation, actually, which is nothing more impossible than you trying to save yourself. Absolutely impossible. So Romans 10 talks about faith comes by hearing. It's the message of Christ, salvation through him. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And all of a sudden we have faith to believe for the impossible, that Jesus, his finished work, his death, burial, and resurrection, me receiving that, that can, that can save me, can give me eternal life, faith for the impossible. There, there's a story, I love the story. You may think, what's this doing over here, this boat and this net? I just thought it looked cool, so I said, bring me out a boat and a net. Looks, looks good over there. But then it happened to go with story. In Luke 5, Peter and John, James, and all of his partners, they've been fishing. The Bible says that they had fished all night. I like the King James word, they had toiled all night. They had toiled all night. And does anybody remember how much they caught? They caught nothing. They toiled all night and caught nothing. Now, I don't know about you, but if you really work hard on something but succeed, there's a certain energy from that. You know what I mean? Let's say you worked all weekend long to get your broken down car to work, and after 15 hours of labor over the weekend, you sit down, you put the key in the ignition, turn it, and it fires up. You go, ah. 
And there's just a certain kind of energy. I mean, you walk in and say, hey, everybody, you want to go out? Let's go out and go out for supper or something. you got this energy. If you've worked all week long and spent 15 hours on the car, and you set in, and you turn the key, and it goes, uh-uh-uh. You just go, I'm just going to sleep right here tonight. I don't even have the strength to get out of the car. Isn't that funny? It's something about you can labor hard and toil hard, but if you have success, it, like, energizes you. If you have failure, I don't even have the energy. Guess what? These guys had failed. They had labored all night, toiled all night long, and they had failed. And so Jesus asked Peter, he said, hey, can I use your boat to preach from? Peter said, sure. He said, push me out a little bit. And he sits there and he teaches. And so Peter, this is just how I picture This isn't how the scripture says. The Bible says that, that they were cleaning their nets and they were working. And, and I can just picture, you know, Peter's kind of listening more than he wants to let on because he's a tough guy. You know, so he's fixed everything. And I don't know what all has to happen to that. But they've cleaned everything up. They've put everything away. They're all done. He can't, he doesn't even have hardly the energy to make it home, but he's, you know, he's finished catching himself on his coat button, and he, he packs everything away, and he packs the last thing away, and he said, man, I hope he hurries up and gets done, because I, I got to get home. I'm trashed. And Jesus wraps up and says, okay, Peter, here's what I want you to do. Shove out into the deep and throw in your net for a catch. Okay. Now, this is how I imagine it. Here's what's going on in Peter's mind. Not what he's saying with his mouth, what's going on in his mind. I'm a professional fisherman. Jesus is a carpenter and a preacher. I'm a professional fisherman. A professional fisherman knows this. We fish the Sea of Galilee at night, which is true. They do. It's daylight. Now, he's not saying any of this, but this is what he's thinking. I don't really like taking fishing advice from a carpenter. Now, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I cannot play golf well at all, okay? But if I hit a good shot, I will teach the next guy what he needs to do. <laughs> oh, I see what you're doing wrong there. And I know what they're thinking. You've hit one good shot out of 30, and you're trying to train me now on how to golf? And I feel like that's what, what, what Peter felt like. But if you remember the powerful line he has... He takes a breath and he says, Nevertheless, at thy word. Nevertheless, at thy word. I, when I read that this week, I was pondering, I thought, you know what? A little faith better than no faith. He could have said, sorry, I'll try again tonight. But he said, nevertheless, at thy word. And so he pushes it out. If you're familiar with the story, he catches such a load of fish that the nets begin to break. So he calls his partner over, and they bring their boat over. They fill up both boats to where the boats are beginning to sink. And you know what he had? An encounter with Jesus. It's a, it's a really cool story. Now, you've just had your most successful moment in fishing like that. You didn't toil all night. You didn't toil for 15 minutes. You've cast out on the word of Jesus, threw the net in, caught two boatloads of fish. You know, what, you know what Peter does? He falls on his face before Jesus. He falls on his face before the Lord. And he says, Lord, depart from me. I am a sinful man. I like Jesus. <laughs> you know what Jesus says? I ain't departing. I got an assignment for you. You've been fishing for fish. You're going to fish for men now. Now, let me tell you what... what the Bible says he did. It said, Peter 
left his boat full of fish, didn't take it to the market, didn't put the money in his pocket. He left his boat and everything immediately and followed Jesus. Oh, wow. I mean, I think I would have at least said, and I hate to admit this, let me get the fish to market, put some money in my pocket, I'll be back to meet you here, need to pick up some extra clothes. But no, he said, dang. That's the kind of encounter we need with Jesus. Jesus, come follow me. You go, well, right now I got this issue in this relationship, and I got this going on at work, and I got this happening there, and I got this going on there. I don't know when I'll get around to it. Just do it. You're here today thinking about stuff to delay. Just do it. Delay's always been around. They said, come on. Go out into the highways and byways and compel people to come into my banquet. Jesus tells the story. And somebody says, well, you know, I'd really like to come, but I just bought some oxen, and i got to try out these oxen. Well, I'd really like to come, but I just got married. I don't think it's good timing. Well, I'd really like to come, but I just built me a house. I'd really like to come, but I just bought a field. I need to go check it out. Well, you can have a thousand excuses. I say just drop the boat and the fish and come follow Jesus. It'll be a wonderful adventure. And Peter never, we never see anything where Peter said, I wish I hadn't have done that. He's excited to go after God. The word of God also, according to James 1.25, blesses everything in our lives. If we do the word, we'll be blessed in all of our deeds. Ephesians 6.17 says, the word of God's a weapon. You got some battles to fight? Guess what? The word of God is a sword of the spirit. You can fight some battles with the word of God, the sword of the spirit. So there's nothing the word of God can't transform if we submit to it. Don't miss that. If we submit to it and do it, there's nothing the word of God can't transform. You and I, we've got some stuff in our lives that need transform. We're going to have to submit it to the word of God. We're going to have to, maybe it'll be the hard work of saying no to our flesh and yes to the Lord. But it will pay off and we'll be blessed in our deeds. Now, last set of words from Jesus. John 15, 3 and 4, 7 through 8. John 15, 3, Jesus speaking, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Other translations say you've already been purged or pruned. You've already been purged, pruned, or cleaned by the word I've spoken to you. There is a fallacy going around in the church all over the world, has been for a long time, think this was the devil's idea, that the way God purges you and prunes you is to give you lots of problems. He wants to give you trouble. And so, you know, man, how blessed will you be if he puts you in a bad car wreck? Because, man, if he puts you in a bad car wreck, man, he, he's trying to purge your... No, that's not what... I want to tell you, not, not what do men think. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, you have already been purged or cleansed or pruned by the word, the word I've spoken to you. Good parents, if you had good parents or you are a good parent, you know that you, you counsel and instruct your children so that all will go well with them. And so you warn them, don't put your hand up on the stove, it's hot, you'll get burnt. Now there's the occasional kid that says, oh man, you ain't going to tell me what to do, I'll do whatever I want to, and you're just trying to hold back from me, there's probably a big pile of candy up there on top of that stove, I can't see up that high, but I'll find out so they put their hand up there and they get burned. Now when they get burned, they do learn a lesson. 
they learn, oops, uh, maybe mom or dad was telling me the truth. Uh, that probably isn't a good place to put my hand. You learn some things. But that wasn't any parent's desire for a way to teach the kid. It was that they be purged or cleansed or corrected by the word that was spoken to them. So Jesus said, you're clean because the word I have spoken to you remain in me and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. One of the verses goes on to say, apart from me you can do nothing. So we're back to that. Verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. You remain in me and my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. When we're fruit-bearing Christians, it, it shows the world that we're disciples of Jesus. Now, I get this. When we are born again, you read through Corinth, the book First and Second Corinthians, you see Paul dealing with true Christians who are living very carnally, and their testimony is an awful testimony to the world. And we want to have a good testimony to the world. We want people to see us say, oh, there's what a believer does. That's how a believer lives. They're bearing good fruit. Wow, where's that good fruit coming from? They're Christians. They love Jesus. That's where it's coming from. And so God says, this is to the Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. So the word of God is that transforming power. And it's actually, uh, I think in this chapter where Jesus says that I've came, come to give you life. It's, it, life is in that word. And so it's my goal that everyone who's listening today, whether it's online or here in person, that you carve out some time for some Bible time in your life. Every day. Every day? Yeah, every day. How about three days a week? Every day. Every day. You can do it. You can do it. Darlene and I spent at least a half hour, sometimes an hour every morning, carving out time for the word of God. Now I want to say this because... I know how people are. Oh my goodness, that, that, that's the golden thing then. I have to do what Tracy and Darlene do. No, because I can tell you this. There was a time that I was in the computer business and pastored this church and had three kids and they were all involved in everything. We did not get up and do that every morning. Now, we always found time for the word of God. But you're, I don't know what season you are in life, but there's some way to carve out some time for the word of God. I also know when I read year after year after year for decades that the average American spends three to four hours in front of the TV set a day that I figured there's somewhere we can carve out some time for the Word of God. And I don't mind if you start small, let it build. But think to yourself, how can I carve out some time for God? You can buy a, a book that's a devotional. You can get online and find them for 99 cents, $2, $3. I'll tell you what, you say, I don't have 99 cents. I bet I have seven of them in my office that I'll gladly give away to anybody who says, I, I want a devotional that I've gone through. You also can... There's companies out there who love Jesus, love the Word of God, that will send you, if you like technology, your smartphone, your tablet, your computer, will send you a daily devotional for free. For free. Okay, I'm going to test your powers of memorization. So I didn't make a slide for this. There's a company called Crosswalk. Crosswalk. Did you get that? Crosswalk. Got it? Crosswalk. Crosswalk.com. And you can, there's dozens of Bible studies. You can just pick one, they'll send it to your inbox every day, and you can use that to spend some time with God. You can spend some time with the Lord. So, here's our goal. Daily time with God. You can get a daily devotional book. You can get Christian teaching on TV shows or podcasts or audio. You can get a daily devotional email and Thank you, Liana. You're right. I did make a slide for that. Crosswalk.com. 
crosswalk.com. Those are just ways. And just start practicing getting the Word. You may already have one. You may have your favorite program you watch in the morning or evening or whatever. That's all good. Get the Word of God in you and start putting it into practice. Start putting it into practice. So today, I want us to be reminded of the eternal, powerful, transformational power of the Word of God. Don't take it lightly. Don't take it lightly. If you hear the Word and do the Word, you'll be blessed in all your deeds. Let's pray together.